for two and a half days, I just sat around the house, drugged up, kind of moping around, and, um, and just kind of watching the world go by. So I watched, you know, I kept checking about every five minutes where the hurricane was. I, um, Marla had to put up with the drone of, like, TV news on, or I'd be on my iPad, and sometimes they were both on together. And I kind of watched the world go by this last week, everything from the hurricane to that, that story of the little girl in Aleppo who picked up what she thought was a toy, and it was a cluster bomb that exploded, and she died. Um, I mean, just, I just kind of watched the news events go through the week, and the number of people who died, died in Haiti, and then the flooding in the southeast. Um, that, what is it about the creepy clown scares? I mean, that, that weirdness going on. And then we hit this weekend, and the very unpresidential kinds of things going on in the, um, the election cycle that we're in. And I realized as I just watched how desperately the world needs for the followers of Jesus to get involved in the messiness, to get close enough to the world to actually make a difference for good. So this week we're continuing our series on our new mission and vision. And this, we'll put up here the mission. This is a reminder. We've preached through this for the last few weeks. This is our, our mission that we found through the vitality um, process. There it is. Our mission, Cornerstone Church of Boston, equips one another for a transforming life with Jesus, invests in a loving community, and engages in compassionate justice in the world. So that's what we've been talking through for the last three or four weeks, that these are our bedrock values. This is what matters to us, transforming life with Jesus, loving community, and mission to address the injustice in the world. But somebody mentioned um, at one point um, a couple weeks ago, well, you know, we've heard all that before. There's nothing there that's new. What's going to make a difference? Well, our mission is supposed to be be built on the bedrock foundation of Scripture. So that's what we've been preaching through for the last few weeks. We now come to our vision as a church. And our vision is what we are committed to do that is unique to Cornerstone. Our mission, lots of different churches could have that mission, okay? But only Cornerstone will end up living out our vision the way that we've understood that God has given it to us. So here is our our vision We envision Cornerstone to be a church without walls, boldly following Jesus even beyond our comfort zones, sharing our lives together while breaking down barriers, inviting people to encounter the love of Jesus, and serving the marginalized in our society. That is going to be very unique in how we at Cornerstone live out that vision. And and if you if you look at, just go online and look at a bunch of church websites, and you'll find that lots of them talk about um, transforming life with Jesus, loving community and mission. But you won't find any other church on the internet that has that unique vision. And so for the next um, number of weeks, our talks are going to be through each phrase of our new church vision. So this morning, what I want to talk about is what it is to become a church without walls. Um, but the way that I want to start, first I want to crowdsource some ideas. You were given three-by-five cards when you came in this morning. So get those cards. Those of you who already folded them into paper airplanes, unfold them. And um, borrow, beg, steal a pen or pencil. 
And here's what I'd like you to write on the card. When you hear that phrase, church without walls, what do you hope that will mean for Cornerstone? What do you hope it will mean that we will become if we are going to become a church without walls? And think in terms specifically of Cornerstone, but also think beyond Cornerstone. Think about the church in your generation, in the millennial and post-millennial generation. What do you hope it will be as a church without walls? And I'll just give you a couple minutes, then you're going to pass them to the aisles, and we'll collect them up, and um, we'll come back to them in the service a little bit later. This is where we're supposed to have Jeopardy music, or or, um, Wheel of Fortune music. (laughs) It's also my reminder to bring pens to church with you. Priscilla, you're not supposed to be using it for a fan. You're supposed to be writing on it. <laughs> See who else I can call out. <laughs> All right, if you're done, send it, to, send it to the outside aisles and you guys to the inside. Um, just start passing them down the line. And in just a minute, um, some of the ushers will come get them. And somebody will collect the ones up in the balcony. Did you guys get three by five cards when you came in? Good. All right. So somebody will collect them in just a moment. And as you're finishing them up, I actually want to encourage you to dream about the church in your generation. Because every generation leaves a, a stamp, leaves its mark on the church as the church goes on from century to century. Every generation has a role to play and a mark to leave. And every generation will leave its mark for better or for worse. So I actually want to encourage you, every once in a while, dream about what you long for the church to become. Every once in a while, talk with some some Christian friends about what you, you will work to create for the church in your generation. Because it's fascinating how often great things happen in the kingdom of God because just a couple people start to dream about what it could be. So, keep sending them out to the outside aisle. We're not quite ready. I see a bunch of people writing, so I'll give you another minute. Yeah, don't fold them, because somebody's going to have to unfold them before they bring them up to me. All right, and I'll just, ushers, you just keep collecting them as I, as I keep talking. So, show of hands, how many of you have heard of Robert Frost, the poet Robert Frost? Ha, <laughs> Danny and Hojin, you were wrong. They told me, all right, here's the question. How many of you have ever read a poem by Robert Frost? Fitchburg, Massachusetts. My dad, growing up in Massachusetts, absolutely loved going along, doing different things. All of a sudden, he'd quote some line from Robert Frost. Frost won a poet who could, could find wisdom and significance in like every boat stopping by the woods on a snowy evening. Whose woods these are, I think I his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to without a farmhouse near. 
He gives his harness bells a shake as if to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of downy wind and snowy flake. And, and so you picture Robert Frost with his horse and buggy. Um, he died in 1963. He was born in 1894, I think. Um, I've got it here, 1874. And picture him with his horse and buggy on the darkest evening of the year. And the darkest evening wouldn't have just been physically, but he's, he's forecasting that he's in a dark time of his life. And he looks into the woods and just wants to escape. Like almost every one of us has been in a dark time of our lives and we just want to escape. So he looks and he pauses and he wrestles with, does he escape or does he go on? And so he ends it like this. The woods, representing escapism, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. And my dad would quote that when either he or one of his kids needed to be reminded that we had promises to keep, that we couldn't just shirk those responsibilities. Well, if you haven't heard of um, stopping by the woods on a snowy evening, maybe you've heard of the, the, the road less traveled. And in this one, Robert Frost talks about that there are two roads that diverge into a wood, and it's a yellow woods, and... and and at the end of it, he starts out, um, two roads diverge in the yellow wood. At the end, he finishes with these words. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged into a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. And my dad would quote that when he was reminding us to live true to the Christian life, to take the pathway in the world that was less traveled by of devotion and obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, the poem that actually got me on this bunny trail while I was um, trying to write the sermon in my, um, in my, with my cold this week was a poem called Mending Walls. And he says in that poem, it begins like this, something there is that doesn't like a wall, that sends the frozen ground swell under it and spills the upper boulders in the sun and makes gaps, even two can pass abreast. And then he tells the story of how he would get together with his neighbor, and if, if you've driven through rural New England, you've seen the stone walls between different properties, and so he tells the story of how he got together with his neighbor, they would pick a time, and they would walk, each on, each, on their side of the wall, and they would pick up the boulders that had fallen off through the winter, or that hunters had knocked over along the way. And, um, and he says this partway through the poem. He says, before I built a wall... I'd ask to know who I was walling in or walling out and to whom I was like to give offense. Something there is that doesn't like a wall, that wants it down. Something there is that doesn't like a wall, that wants it down. Well, when we go to the scriptures and just try to find out imagery about walls, we actually find out in the scriptures some walls are good for us, so Proverbs says, like a city without walls is a person without self-control. And you think of that, a city without walls has no defense. Anything can come in and wreak havoc however it wants. When we don't have self-control, that's what we're like. Anything can dance into our lives and use up our attention, use up our energy, and wreak havoc for us. So, so, and then, then Nehemiah is called to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls so that the city can be safe and secure and so its people can thrive. But... 
we also come across in the scriptures every once in a while walls that just have to come down. So, if you haven't heard of Robert Frost, how many of you grew up listening, if you grew up in the U.S., listening to Veggie Tales? All right. Here's another poet talking about walls that have to come down. What are you doing? We're going to knock your wall down. By walking around in circles? Yes. It's not because we're crazy or anything. Our God told us to do it this way. Oh, that's a great idea. You go ahead and keep walking. Keep walking. But you will knock down our wall. Keep walking. But she isn't gonna fall. It's plain to see. Your brains are very small to think walking. We'll be knocking down our wall. You silly little pickers. You silly little peas. You think that walking around will bring this city to its knees? The awesome powers of this wall we've clearly demonstrated. Ah! But out here in the hot, hot sun, perhaps you're dehydrated? Ah, pity them, Philippe. Ah, mais oui, Jean-Claude, mais oui. Won't you join me in my irritating little song? It would be an honor. Keep walking, but you will knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. It's plain to see, your brains are very small to think walking. We'll be knocking down our wall. Keep walking, but you will knock down our wall. Keep walking. All right. <laughs> that was just gratuitous because we like VeggieTales so much. But here's the deal. I love that one line. It's not that we're crazy. Our God has told us to do this. And so as we think of becoming a church without walls, it's not that we're crazy. Our God has told us to do this. There are some walls that just have to come down. We know this intuitively as the followers of Jesus. There are walls inside of us where we wall off certain parts of our lives to not let the Holy Spirit mess with it. And so we have these fragmented lives, and we know those walls in our souls have to get torn down. We also know that there are walls between us, broken relationships or walls of ethnicity or race or gender or disagreements. We know that there are walls within us that have to be torn down for us to thrive as the people of God, to, to go about the business that God has given us to do. And we know, and this is going to be the focus of the sermon today, that there are walls between us and the world where we come in and be the church here, but then it doesn't flow from here out into the world. And we know there are walls that the world has a hard time getting past to become part of the people of God. We intuitively know there are simply some walls that have to come down. I don't know about you, 
But I'm convinced that the church of the millennial and post-millennial generation, I'm pretty convinced that this is one of the callings on the church that you will live out and where your children will be raised and where their children... I think the millennial and post-millennial generation is to go about tearing down those walls that, that keep the world from the grace of God and keep the church from influencing the world. So I want to give you three ideas just to be thinking about so that we can capture what this phrase means. And the first one is, let's remember the biblical vision. And I want to give you three scriptures that we're not going to, we're not going to read all the chapters, but we're going to read a few verses of three different passages to remind us of the biblical vision for us to be a people, a church without walls. The first one's Isaiah 58, and here we see God's vision for the church. And in Isaiah 58, God berates his people for being so religious that they never got around to touching the world. And so God's people are complaining. How come we're fasting and we're not getting a response? We're asking for healing and you're, you're not showing up. And God has this to say to his people, and I'm not going to put it on the screen, so listen. Um, this is Isaiah 58, starting with verse 6. God says, Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. It is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh when you have needy family members? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. God's vision is that the church connect with the world. When you read through Isaiah 58 and the things that God wants of his people, he does not want us stuck in the church. He does not want us stuck in our religiosity. Almost nothing in Isaiah 58 that God wants can be done inside the walls of the church. Almost all of it has to be done by us going out and getting close to the world. The missional writers talk about the power of presence and proximity. And one of the problems with the church in, that you are inheriting, okay, you didn't build this church, but one of the problems with the church that you are inheriting is that it has learned to be isolated from the world and disconnected. The church you're inheriting has not been good at being present and close. But I think the church that your generation is supposed to create is one that understands the power of presence and the power of proximity. To use Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, salt is useless if it stays in the salt shaker. We Christians are useless if we stay in the church. And light is useless if it's covered by a bushel. Jesus wants us to get involved and close to the world. That's God's vision for his people. Then when Jesus comes along in Luke chapter 4, he shares his vision for his life and ministry. In Luke chapter 4, we read, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up scroll and found the place where it was written. It wasn't random. Jesus went to this passage, found the place where it is written, and here's his vision. He has anointed me to announce good news to the poor, he has to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, to announce the Lord or his ministry. Almost none of it can happen inside the church. Almost all of it has to happen, not waiting for the, the world to find us, but us going out and connecting. He went out to the poor. You keep, in the Gospels, you keep coming across Jesus like hanging out by lakes, okay? Why did he do that? Because that's where the people were. He would go. It was preached out in the world. So here are a couple of interesting facts about Jesus. The synagogue and the temple were not the mostly in the world. How might the world be different if we started talking about this? Ninety-three percent of Jesus' miracles were performed outside the synagogue. Activity to change the world didn't happen in the walls of the religious hierarchy with the poor and the needy and those who were still distant from God. He was so the sinners more than the righteous of just going to too many parties. Because Jesus would take everyone at a party. Wouldn't it be amazing if the church today of the people who need to be healed, wouldn't it be great if we would be known as part of people's lives so we can tell them the good news? The Gospels are very careful to tease. It keeps popping up among the people. And so he hangs out at a well and talks to her. And the result of that encounter is that she's didn't stay in the temple in the synagogue, he was able to connect with other people. And he says, Zacchaeus, let's have a meal together. Which is the other thing that we'll find, we'll come back to it. Having meals together is an incredible way to accomplish proximity and presence. On this, first of all, we've seen God's vision, we've seen Jesus' vision, and then Matthew, and Matthew 5 through 7 is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 10 is another sermon that says, in the Sermon on the Mission, you're going to see that Jesus envisions that his disciples are going to go. Jesus is speaking. As you go, announce this message. The kingdom who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely. As you stay, wait for people to come find you and then try to connect. Jesus, the greatest work of God isn't going to happen here. It's going to happen as we go still near. God still wants people to thrive. God wants people to who are in need to have their needs met. God wants every human person to become everything that go out and tell them that God is near. Which means the vision for the church, the biblical vision of the church, is to gather so that we will be scattered. We've been called out of sin and darkness so that we can be in worship and in small groups and in our fellowship. Those are good things. But in this life, that's not the to the church. We are gathered together that we might be equipped to be scattered into the world. So I got to tell you, the most important things you are going to do with God for God be in your prayers. The most important things we're going to do for God this week are the things that we do as we go out and live out proximity and presence that we might share with people. With that in mind, what happened to the cards? I need the cards. One of the ushers, bring me. Here's what we're going to find out. I actually did this with the um, children's ministry earlier, but there are going to be enough of them here. I will try to go. No.
250 of them. All right, let's envision, because here's what, what we find. In your generation, you already know what you want, and you know what it means to be a church without walls, suffering worldly things, reaching out to those in need, not being, I don't understand that one, no less limited to Sundays. Somebody writes way too small. Church without separation. A church that reaches our community. I hope it will mean that Cornerstone would not shy away from reaching out to the world. Proudly praise in our relationship with God extends past the limitations and bounds of Sunday. It is the extent else. I hope that it will create an intimate environment where we are vulnerable to each other. Involved in mission locally and globally, a multicultural church, a church that we can community regularly. And I only read like six or seven of those. We already know this doesn't need a big theological study. We don't have to read more books. We don't followers of Jesus, what God is calling us to. So, without walls. Let's stop hoping that it will happen and start doing things where I'm pretty sure that this is something your generation is to accomplish for the church that your children will love to be part of without walls. So here's an idea from one of the kind of the, the guys that writes about the mission uh, mnemonic to give us just very, very practical things to start to create this kind of church. Because when you think of creating, going to tackle that. Alan Hirsch says, well, it boils down to what each and every one of us does, and each letter is going to have significance. The first one is bless. Bless. He says, three acts of blessing. One for a believer, one for an unbeliever, and then the third one just for fun. Just, I don't know, we got 250, I don't think we're quite to 300 today. So somewhere between 250, 300, do three through us in this church every day this week, and how that might just bring grace. Sending an email of encouragement. Or it might be, you know, somebody's trying to get through a door, word of encouragement. Three acts of blessing every day. Alan Hirsch is convinced that until we start blessing then the world's not going to ever want us to come very close. There's E for eat. And here's what he says here. Eat three meals a day with some other people. Sorry. Three meals a week with other people. Same pattern. One with a believer. One with an unbeliever. Together, we experience a presence and a proximity. But don't have that meals a week and just ask people about their lives. Christian, non-Christian, and one to spare. Third letter for B-E-L. First L is listen. Alan Hirsch encourages us to commit to listen to God one hour a week. He doesn't really care how we do it. He says, do it all in one time if you want, or spread it out among seven days, but commit to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit for an hour a week. What this is, this is not Bible study. It's not, it's not reading the scriptures. It's not even intercessory prayer. This is saying, Jesus Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I want you to guide me. Show me what you want me to see, what you want me to be and do in this world. Commit to an hour a week of listening. The second L in Bells, he calls learn. He says, commit to spend, this is fascinating, commit to spend an hour a week in the Gospels. Why? To learn what Jesus did so that we can do the things that Jesus did for the reasons that Jesus did them. 
And he says, that's going to take an hour a week in the Gospels. You know that, um, that our, our, in the political race, um, the, the presidential candidates have surrogates who speak for them. Well, we are surrogates for Christ in the world. So let's spend time to learn what Jesus did. We talk about wanting to be like Christ. So let's watch what he does with the poor. Let's watch what he does with the needy. Let's watch what Jesus, how Jesus responds to people and connects with them. It's amazing how often Jesus touches people in the Gospels. Let's watch what Jesus does, learn from him, so that we can become like him. And then the last letter for bells is S, and that, Alan Hirsch says, is the word sent. Realize that we have been sent into the world, which means begin every day, he says, with some kind of reminder that we are sent into our world. Because you know what? You're going to go places this week where no other Christian is going to be in the way that you're supposed to be there. You are being sent into every situation you have this week as a surrogate of Jesus. And if we can have something to remind us every day, we are the sent ones into the world, then we can start to create this church without walls that we dream for the church to become. Not because some sermon got preached, not because some leaders said we do, do, should do certain things, not because there's a new book, but because we are embodying what we dream for the church to be and do in the world. So let's remember the biblical vision. Let's envision a church without walls. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it in your small group. Let's create a church without walls in this generation. In light of all the crazy stuff that I watched go by this week as I was sick, from Aleppo to the hurricanes to refuge to unpresidential politics, to requote Veggie Tales, it's not that we are crazy. Our God has told us to do this. Two roads are going to diverge into a wood. We're going to have a choice. We can take the one that is less traveled. It will make all the difference because we have promises to keep. Promises to our God. Promises to one another. Promises to the world. We have promises to keep of bringing the grace and truth of the Most High God to remind the world that our God is near. And the way he's going to come near to the people in our lives is when we bring him through our lives. Let's pray. Father, there are lots of things that different churches are supposed to do. But in this, this year and a half process of spiritual discernment in community, somehow you gave us this as one of our assignments at Cornerstone. And then the other components of our vision are just living out this breaking down the walls. Would you give us creative energy? Would you help us focus? And more than anything else, Father, would you, would you stop letting us wait for somebody else to create this church. And may each of us, as we bless and as we eat and as we learn and as we listen, 
And as we are sent, may every single one of us here be a crucial component in creating a church without walls in this generation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.